Hi, my name is Benala Sarami. I'm the host to the Pharmacogenomics for Pharmacists podcast on one of the largest pharmacy podcast network. When I was a student in pharmacy school, I was doing research with Washington University, going to people's homes that are age over 65 who are homebound, looking at all their medications. And I realized all these patients are on the same medications, but they have different side effects or advantages to them. So when I stumbled upon pharmacogenomics, I realized that was the missing piece of why everyone was acting different with the medication. It's all the genetic. So I'm a pharmacogenomics coach and I'm also a medical science liaison for a pharmacogenomics company. I create content on pharmacogenomics, educating providers and sales rep to provide more information on the value of pharmacogenomics and implementation of that piece. If you're looking for a pharmacogenomics coach, I can be reached on LinkedIn and also to listen on PGX for Pharmacists podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the social media platforms as well. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Gavel and Pestle, the fusion of law and pharmacy. Hey everyone, I'm Brooke Lusich. Welcome to Gavel and Pestle. Today on the show, we've got Natalia Mazina. Natalia is a tenacious healthcare and pharmacy attorney based in San Francisco, California, specializing in pharmacy compliance, third-party payer audits, and pharmacy benefit manager disputes. She is the PBM expert, and today she'll be breaking down the trends that we are seeing in the prescription drug landscape. Natalia is a regulatory counsel at Mazina Law, where she represents and defends pharmaceutical and healthcare clients in business transactions, government investigations, audits, and administrative actions. More recently, she is the founder of RX Policy, an online tool that helps pharmacies implement compliance policies and training programs. She is a frequent speaker at national meetings and has worked on countless successful cases with national and statewide impact. Today, Natalia joins me to share her expertise, and we go everywhere. She reveals the most common compliance mistakes that pharmacies don't even realize they're making. We get into the Rutledge versus PCMA decision and what it really means for pharmacies. And she shares her ideas for independents to start thinking outside the box in their approach to PBMs. With that, let's welcome Natalia Mazina to Gavel and Pestle. Natalia Mazina, great to have you. How are you? And Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Brooke, and thank you for having me in your show. Thank you. I am delighted to be speaking with you. I have followed your work for years and knew you would be a perfect fit for our episode that's going to deep dive into the laws behind PBM trends that we are seeing in pharmacy today. Great. Let's do it. All right. Well, we met actually through ASPL, that's the American Society for Pharmacy Law. And Natalia, you were so welcoming to me as a student from day one. And I'm really grateful that we've been able to stay connected. Thank you for mentioning. We always welcome students at the ASPL. All students out there, uh, ASPL is a great organization to get introduced to what pharmacy law is about. It really is. So I want to get right into it. Why don't you tell our listeners a little about your professional background as a healthcare and pharmacy attorney and what you're up to currently? Sure. So I'm Natalia Mazina. I'm a pharmacy attorney. I have been representing pharmacies in regulatory compliance, disciplinary actions, PBM audits, government and private investigations for the last 10 years. 
I work for several law firms, but about three years ago, I branched out and started my own firm where I continue representing mostly independent pharmacies in all aspects of legal compliance, litigation, and investigation. I often advocate on behalf of pharmacies in public matters in front of the Board of Pharmacies and other agencies. Uh, in fact, I started my career working for a nonprofit Medicaid Defense Fund, uh, which was litigating Medicaid reimbursement cuts to pharmacies. Um, we successfully stopped seven consecutive Medicaid reimbursement cuts to pharmacies, so that was a huge victory for our nonprofit, for all independent pharmacies in the state of California. And one of the, our cases went all the way to the US Supreme Court. And that's how I got involved with the world of pharmacy. And I loved it since then. Um, absolutely enjoy working with pharmacies. I think this is a very challenging field. It's very interesting. And pharmacists as well are very, um, these are my most favorite clients of all. <laughs> So when these pharmacists or your clients come to you, what services are they seeking? Um, well, it's it all uh, depends. I would say that anything relating to pharmacy, we could handle. So even um, starting with, let's say, a business setup, pharmacy setup, and ending with investigation, OIG investigation of the pharmacy. So anything we can, uh, uh, from the legal perspective, we can help a pharmacy with. So we do a lot of PBM audits, uh, post audits, such as chargebacks, we do appeals, we do contractual termination. And in California, we practice board of pharmacy work as well. So clearly you bring years of experience and expertise to your practice as a pharmacy attorney and in your practice, you began to notice some patterns with your clients regarding pharmacy compliance. This led to the birth of online compliance platform RX Policy, which you launched in early 2020. Can you tell us a little bit more about RX Policy and how it came to be? Sure, and thank you for asking because RX Policy is my baby and has been on my mind for the last five years. I was always thinking how to make compliance easy. And many of my clients complained that it was difficult to find or draft compliance documents. So last year, thanks to COVID, we started Rx Policy, which is a website, rxpolicystore.com, where pharmacies can download compliance materials such as policies and procedures, some contracts, manuals, uh, we try to make it as accessible, affordable, and user-friendly as possible. It's um, uh, all cu uh, we customize it all. We include free consultations. So far, we had great feedback, and we're planning to expand to other states. We currently have California and federal policies and documents, which includes PBM compliance uh, documents as well. Many of the issues that we'll be probably talking today about um, could be avoided if a pharmacy has a strong compliance base. So this is what RX policy is trying to achieve. It's trying to give uh, pharmacies um, access to compliance documents. So, so why is it so important for pharmacies to prioritize compliance? I mean, of course, it's time consuming, it's expensive, and it's got to be confusing for the average pharmacist to navigate the ins and outs of the law. So why is this so necessary? 
Well, compliance um, if, 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 uh, is the foundation of a successful pharmacy, because if you think about this, pharmacy is the most regulated healthcare um, sector, I think, in my opinion. I work with some other healthcare providers, and we have by far more pharmacy audits than any other healthcare providers, because maybe because uh, it has to do with easy access to dangerous drugs and devices. Uh, but without this compliance, there will be no successful pharmacy business, because anytime somebody can shut you down or impose a huge monetary fine or even start criminal investigation against the pharmacy if if there's no compliance. So it's, it's imperative. Absolutely. So in addition to specializing in pharmacy compliance and licensing, you also represent pharmacies in reimbursement and billing disputes with PBMs and third-party payers. Tell us about some of the general trends relating to PBMs that you are currently seeing in practice. Sure. So the biggest trend um, is in the whole healthcare sector is drug cost containment. So this is the primary focus of all plans in government agencies. So we PBMs have lots of pressure on them to reduce the cost and adhere to the formularies. And uh, as a result, PBMs penalize pharmacies for not complying with the manuals on formula restrictions or for dispensing large volumes of expensive medications or engaging in any other wasteful patents. And I can briefly just tell you um, some of the recurring issues for audits that we usually face. Do you think that will be helpful for your audience? Oh, absolutely. So uh, I just started a webinar on this, so <laughs> that's why it's all fresh in my mind. And I'm happy to share. So for example, last year, um, some of the recurring themes in my practice when I represented pharmacies in PBM audits were uh, aberrant quantities and restrictions. This was huge uh, last year. Uh, inventory shortages, manufacturer's coupons, um, failure to collect co-pays, claim test testing, uh, failure to reverse in timely manner and improperly prepared PAs or some other issues with prior authorization. So these are the main themes that we've seen um, last year, for example. And I anticipate we will continue seeing them in 2021 because as I said, this pressure on PBMs to reduce cost is huge. And um, we've, we're seeing more and more PBM audits nowadays. Uh, there are more audits right now than we saw 10 years ago, or even five years ago. Do you predict the number of PBM audits will continue to grow in 2021? Uh, yes, I think so. I, I, want, I want to discuss this concept of vertical integration in the retail pharmacy sector as companies across the healthcare value chain are being consolidated, such as payers, PBMs, and PBM-owned pharmacies. In fact, 80% of prescription claims are controlled by three pharmacy benefit managers. So what are some of the downstream implications of this for independent pharmacies and their patients? Right. Uh, so with vertical integration, as you mentioned, we have plans acquiring PBMs and pharmacies. So we have this complete vertical integration here. Um, I'd like to mention that th this conglomerates argue that such integration is an effective strategy for cost containment. And as I mentioned before, this is 
the priority for most of the plans. Um, so they think that by fully integrating uh, within this industry, they can contain cost. So time will show, um, but so far, so if you think about this case uh, we had a few years ago, uh, Anthem versus Express Scripts, it was a, um, a case when Anthem brought a case against this BBM for allegedly withholding funds and overcharging uh, for pharmacy benefit. So instead of uh, contracting with another PBM, Anthem partnered with CVS Health and they created their own PBM. And as you know, there are other PBMs that partner with plans. We have CVS, Aetna, Cigna, and ESI, United Health, and Optum. And this, we could say, could definitely impact independent pharmacy. It actually does impact independent pharmacies in a huge way. Uh, we know that pharmacies cannot compete with this 800 pound gorillas in the pharmaceutical industry because independent pharmacies are often excluded from this preferred networks. They often pay higher drug costs. Um, they do not have large storefront to balance out some of the losses on prescription medications. And they usually reimbursed uh, less. So for example, we don't know whether this uh, fully integrated pharmaceutical distributors impose JR fees on their own pharmacies. It's not very likely. However, uh, they do impose them on independent pharmacies. So they are, independent pharmacies are positioned uh, here uh, at a great disadvantage. But I do not want to be um, uh, very pessimistic here because I think independent pharmacies will need to start thinking differently because the whole industry is vertically integrating. So it's time to start thinking differently, start thinking out of the box. For example, I'd like to mention this group that I just discovered myself. It's called Indie Health. It's a group of uh, independent pharmacies that they got together. It's a brave little group. And they formed their own insurance plan. And they were approved as a plan D sponsor. So talking about vertical integration. And here's independent pharmacies taking things in their own hands. Uh, because this plan was formed by independent pharmacies in response to massive closure of independence across the nation, they do not implement any DIR fees and they use only independent pharmacies as their preferred providers. And think about this, PBMs are telling them, uh, us that DIRs are mandated by federal law or by CMS. And here we have this plan, which was a, approved as a plan D sponsor, and they do not impose any DIR fees. And to remind in 2019, for example, I don't, and I do not have a number for 2020, small pharmacies paid average DIR fees of, I think about 130,000 per store. It's huge. So this group, and if you, it's worth checking out is Indie Health as an independent um, it's worth checking out their website. Um, the, the mission on the website says that they empower independent pharmacies to create their own formulary MTM and be able to negotiate rebates. So they just started, I think, last year. Um, it will be interesting to see how successful this group will be. 
Um, and this is just one of the examples how pharmacies start thinking differently in, in terms of this vertical integration and the trends in the industry. Um, I am physically located close to Silicon Valley and I have quite a few startup clients who are doing some things differently in the pharmaceutical uh, arena. Um, and it's time to, to, to start doing things differently, definitely. Well, there's no question. It's been very challenging for the independents, but that's not to say that they can't fight back. I mean, we saw these long-standing issues come to a head in 2020 with the U.S. Supreme Court case, Rutledge versus the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association. In December 2020, the court ruled 8-0 to that the Employee Retirement Income Security Act did not preempt Arkansas's law regulating PBMs. So, the states have won. What does this decision mean for independent pharmacies in 2021? All right. This is a great decision. Um, when the decision came out in December, I was inundated by the emails from uh, pharmacies and clients saying, we won. This is great. Now this is the end of PBMs. Uh, but uh, remember, this is a uh, a very narrow holding, and I can go a little bit more into the specifics to explain. Yeah, please do. Yeah, because, yeah, this is, I, I, by no means I'm trying to downplay the significance of the decision, um, but this is a, a first step in allowing states to regulate PBMs. And there's still lots of confusion what this decision means for independent pharmacies. So... Just to remind our listeners that the, the case originated in Arkansas when the state passed Act 900, which provided that PBMs uh, have to tie reimbursement rates to pharmacies' acquisition costs by timely updating their MAC prices. So if the drug uh, price goes up, the MAC list has to be updated in a timely manner. Uh, the act also provided that PBMs must allow pharmacies to reverse and rebuild each reimbursement claim affected by the pharmacy's inability to find this drug at the uh, cost that can match uh, MAC price. And then the act permitted uh, a pharmacy to decline to sell a drug to a beneficiary uh, if the relevant PBM will reimburse the pharmacy at less than its acquisition cost. So this was the main provision of the act. And PCMA, which stands for Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, which represents 11 largest PBMs in the country, jumped in and they always do when there is a state regulation affecting PBMs. This, this is a very, very strong uh, group representing PBM interest. And they argued that ERISA preempted it and the state could not regulate PBMs and how they administer pharmacy benefit. And for some of the listeners who do not know what ERISA really is about, this is um, federal law, stands for Employee Retirement Income Security Act. And it sets minimum standards for establishing retirement and health plans in private industry. So it does overlap with any kind of health regulatory issues. 
Um, so the CMA prevailed on the federal level at the Eighth Circuit. Eighth Circuit, which is the appeal court, agreed with the PCMA, said, yes, we have federal law, ERISA, on the book. So the state could not interfere here um, and try to regulate how the healthcare plans run um, their plans. So the state appealed the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, which held, as you said, that ERISA does not necessarily interfere with state objectives, which is a great decision. Um, but it deals with a narrow issue whether ERISA preempts state laws regulating PBMs. So after losing this argument, who knows, maybe PCMA will come up with something else or some other arguments why states cannot interfere with PBM practices. What a great summary. Thank you so much. I mean, it sounds to me like this is nonetheless a very strong step towards effective PBM regulations, but what work still needs to be done? Uh, definitely. I would like to mention that um, hopefully other states will um, catch the trend and start enacting similar regulation as this Act 900 did. I actually spoke with um, some government officials in California after Arkansas passed its Act 900, and I asked, so how come we in California don't have something like that? We need this protection for independent pharmacies, which are going out of business. And uh, I was told that, well, we are watching what happens to this Act 900 because we know PCMA will challenge it in court. And they were right. So hopefully now that the case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, we have some more actions from the states with something similar to this. It'll be interesting. Yeah. So why don't we close with maybe a piece of free legal advice for our audience? So if I'm a pharmacist listening, what are some tangible steps that I can take to protect my pharmacy from PBM abuse or compliance audits that I might not even realize I'm missing? Right. Um, so PBM abuse is so broad. <laughs> it could include DIR fees. It could include oppressive audits, low reimbursement rates, and fair competition. And there are some aspects we cannot really do much about, at least currently. So for example, there is not much we can do regarding DIR fees right now. Um, it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Um, looks like we cannot do much about low reimbursement rates as well, uh, besides working closely with our states um, and potentially bringing legal actions. But as you know, legal actions are uh, very expensive. They take a long time, they're uncertain, uh, and we actually do not have a good precedent out there. But what pharmacies could really do to protect themselves is to have a top-notch compliance. So it all goes back to compliance because if there's nothing to pick about during an audit for PBM, uh, the pharmacy will stay in the network, uh, will have no chargebacks. Um, so uh, compliance definitely um, is, is worth engaging pharmacy consultants, additional personnel is definitely all worth it in the long run. And most of the audits that I help pharmacies with could have been avoided if there was proper compliance and record keeping. Record keeping is absolutely a must in the pharmacy. And then um, 
I really like this uh, idea of thinking out of the box. As I mentioned, some of my clients, they're, they're moving into um, telehealth, into vet or cash medications, specialties. Um, and we just saw example of Indy Health, um, uh, vertical integration involving independent pharmacies. You know what, as I was um, looking on your RX policy website, I couldn't help but notice a quote at the bottom. I'm going to read it. If you think compliance is expensive, try non-compliance. That's by Paul McNulty. <laughs> I loved that. Right. I loved it. And I thought it was so on the point for pharmacies because non-compliance could cost you not just uh, business, not just money, but it even cost, it can cost you life. Because as you know, some of the issues, for example, failure to collect co-pays could result in potential criminal investigation. And that could cause potential arrest warrants, um, sentence, potentially. I don't want, again, to, to make this uh, podcast into something um, dramatic like that, but it's, it's, it's potentially it's there because we're in such a highly regulated profession that we need to pay attention to every single nuance uh, which happens in the pharmacy. Absolutely. And one last thing, Natalia, shout yourself out. Where can everyone find you online or on social media? So we have Rx Policy. It's rxpolicystore.com. We have our blog and website. It's farmhealthlaw.com. And you can always find me on LinkedIn if you want to connect personally. Uh, Natalia Mazina, M-A-Z-I-N-A. Um, feel free to reach out. I'll be happy to chat with anybody who wants to know more about compliance um, or record keeping or what they can do in terms of thinking out of the box or if they need any guidance. I'll be happy to talk to anybody. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Bruce. That was great. Thanks for listening to Gavel and Pestle, the fusion of law and pharmacy. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Gavel and Pestle. And I want to close with one final call out for episode appearances. If you're listening and you've got an expertise in some area of pharmacy law, we want to feature you on the show, have a conversation and amplify your voice. So send an email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com and we'll be in touch. Again, I'm your host, Brooke Lusich, and we'll see you next time.